Amazing. So from soccer world champion to a VC world champion, I'm incredibly excited for our last session today. So uh, Danny's not only uh, an incredible investor, but he's also a great entrepreneur in VC because he has basically led Index Ventures International Expansion and built it into one of the leading global VC funds. And he's also maybe one of the most humble persons I've ever met. So normally not going to conferences because I think you'll have to spend every second with founders. So thank you so much for taking the time today, making it to Berlin and big welcome. Thank you very much. No, very happy to be here and congrats on what you've created. Uh, it's really cool to see all these people and to have it hosted in a church is it's a, a, a first for me. Here. That's cool. <laughs> Let's maybe kick it off straight with the highlights. So we're, we talked a lot about macroeconomic downturn, but a week ago we heard Figma got acquired for 20 billion. And who was the seed investor? This guy. So uh, what did you, like, how did you find Dylan back then? And what made you believe that he was an amazing founder when there was basically nothing? Yes, I get all the credit for Figma. The team, nor none of my colleagues get any credit It's all me. Thank you very much. Um, the, uh, the story with Dylan is, is not that unusual if you see the type. Um, Dylan was a summer intern at Flipboard, which was a company that I was on the board of. And at the time, Flipboard was very difficult to get an internship in. It was really innovating and really created the first app for, for iPads before before Apple had created iPads around. You'd see like Johnny Ive and, and Steve Jobs even coming to the, to the company regularly checking in. And Dylan got an internship there working for the design team and did this awesome presentation on the visualization of data mm -hmm. uh, during his summer internship program. So I was like, okay. I've, as an intern, actually. As an intern. Then, so he got the chance yeah. to present. Okay. He presented. He did a really good job. And so I clocked him there. And then um, a year later, I was having dinner with, a, you know, I don't want a name drop, but if I don't credit Jeff Wiener for this. Go for it. <laughs> from LinkedIn, it's not fair. So I was having dinner with Jeff Wiener and talked to him about personal productivity tools and how excited I was for the next generation of companies that were going to be able to disrupt that. And he said, I sort of think I know what you're talking about. What I know is that there's this kid who I can't convince to stay at LinkedIn and work for me because he keeps on talking about personal productivity and design. So that was a good sign. So I met Dylan with his co-founder, Evan, who at the time, Evan was all of 22 and was already in his third year of PhD program in computer science. Mm -hmm. So he was Dylan's associate professor at Brown in computer science. And they both came in and, uh, you know, so you have a 19-year-old uh, who basically looked slightly older than my six-year-old. And um, you have this 23-year-old And they come and they had such clarity in terms of what they wanted to do, that they wanted to build design tools, that they wanted it to be multiplayer, that it was going to leverage the web in order to do it. And I said, guys, you know this is going to take a while. You're not going to be able to do this overnight. This is not a uh, sort of like we put it out there, we get feedback, then we keep on building. This is going to be multiple year commit from you guys to build this. And they said, yeah, we know. And 
you know, basically no one wants to fund us because it's going to take three years. And, um, and we thought that that's what it would take. So it's probably a longer story than you wanted, but at least you have it. Well, that's an amazing story. And uh, I don't know if it's generalizable, but are there certain traits you look into when, when you watch founders or is there a pattern that basically fascinates you? And I'm happy to take a few notes being a VC, trying to learn even to read founders better. Well, you seem to be doing a good job from what I can gather. Um, yeah, there are a few things. I mean, the first is that, uh, is this person placed on this planet to go after this opportunity? Irrespective of us giving them money or anyone else, are they going to keep on hacking at this because this is the only thing that matters to them? That's a huge one. And that actually takes out the lion's share of people because um, so many folks are interested in doing something at a particular time because they see an open opportunity rather than really having this, this foresight and this desire to transform things. And for, for Dylan, it was democratizing design. So that was a, an ambitious, ambitious um, concept. The, the other one is I have found that folks who are not very well-rounded tend to be really good entrepreneurs uh, rather than folks who are real generalists. It, I, there are exceptions to every rule, but you know, at Index, we have different partners have different phenotypes that they look for. And definitely mine is someone who really skews heavily in a certain area and then is just like ignorant to the question of being questionable how the hell they've gotten so far because they have no idea about these other areas in their life. Um, so there's that aspect. But then at the same time, there's the need for tons of curiosity, you know, just like being a sponge, asking a million questions, leaning into tough questions, not feeling like they know what what is coming around the corner. I think you once said, quote, the role of a VC is a glorified recruiter. Can you elaborate a little bit what you exactly mean with that? <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, Charmaine's a great example of that, right? Irrespective of whether you would have backed her or ourselves, she would be doing what she's doing. I'm sure you agree on that. Yeah, I feel that, um, you know, we have this job that we do is such a privilege because you get to work with some of the smartest people in the world to try and make their dream come true. Um, and we get paid for it. And folks remember us for our great investments, not our crappy ones, at least for the moment. Please don't ask me too much about that. Um, but, you Talk know... about that later. Maybe okay, over. I, I stepped into that. Um, but, you know, you have a great founder. Hopefully you have co-founders. And then you have to populate them with the best team. And usually the founders don't know what great looks like. And oftentimes they know what great looks like in their specific area. So, you know, in the case of Dylan, he knew what a great engineer looked like, but he didn't know what a great marketer looked like or a growth hacker or, um, you know, a great community person looked like. He had a pretty good idea about that. So... Our job is to first show them what 
best looks like, then convince them that what they think is great is not, mm -hmm. and then help them recruit the best person for those roles. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a lot of work. And there's no other way than being a recruiter. Um, so that's what I, I'm sure you spend an enormous amount of time <laughs> on that too. I mean, we're also, you know, always working on what's the best way to recruit because I think just hiring a recruiter into a venture capital fund will give you the average people out in the market. We figured out any alpha or great people that we added to companies were people, sometimes friends of ours, people that we knew personally, that we really got a lot of hard work and conviction to get them into companies that really made a, a dent or a difference in the end. But yeah, let's transition a little bit from being an investor to being an entrepreneur in VC because you truly uh, have been basically doing both. And uh, you were, I think, born in Canada. You grew up in Geneva. You studied in the US. Uh, and then um, basically you led Index European Expansion opening the London office. What brought you into VC or what basically got you to, to do this business? Um, my, my story was I had two sort of loves in college. I had art and the internet and I'm significantly older. I was just asking, was the internet already it there was, when you were at there, college? Believe so. it or not, it was there. <laughs> Joking. So, um, no, I read the first issue of Wired and it sort of blew my mind and said, okay, I'm going out west after I graduate. In retrospect, I should have gone out west right away, not waited for graduation. But I've learned, I've learned. Um, I missed many opportunities I could have invested in. Um, but... Uh, so essentially tried to marry both with the startup that I joined that was a project between Harvard and a startup on the West Coast and quickly realized that I did not like the art world, but I really liked entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I also realized that I was terrible at focusing on one thing. Mm -hmm. That was not my strength. And I think my colleagues will attest to that. So I needed to find a job where I could be close to entrepreneurs, uh, but sort of juggle multiple things at the same time. And then it was just a journey of how to get closer to the entrepreneur. And I couldn't at first, so I was an equity analyst. And then I joined the best operators I knew and realized that they were great operators, which meant that they were likely mm -hmm. not great investors. And then, and then, um, essentially had the opportunity to move back to Europe, which is where I considered home. And um, two of my brothers were founders of Index, mm -hmm. and I was not going to compete with them. <laughs> so I decided to join them. And, you know, they were in Geneva, and we had a discussion. I said, I don't know how we're going to build a venture firm out of Geneva. Mm -hmm. um, I still think there is some great Zurich entrepreneur here, but I still think it's really hard to do yeah. out of Switzerland today. And so London was an obvious mm -hmm. sort of first pit stop for U.S. Mm -hmm. companies. And we thought that Europe did not lack incredible entrepreneurs. They lacked great operators around them. Mm -hmm. And so that's what yeah. launched us. So it's a true family business. We talk a lot about family entrepreneurs because half of our LP base are all those European industrial families. You know, some of them have been around for 100 years, some of them 500 years. So there's even family business and venture capital I, with you guys, right? Would I, you hand it over so, to the next generation of your kids? No, or? No. So I would say I want to I wanna clarify. It. So there were, <laughs> there were four founders of, of whom two are brothers, but we always said it's a, a 
a business family rather than a family business because actually the non-family members always had much more. They were the ones who had the, the veto power, okay. not the brothers. Very so well. we, we figured that out. <laughs> I was just joking. So, I mean, expanding from Geneva to London is impressive, but I would say, okay, fair enough. People might have done that in Europe, but expanding to Silicon Valley, building one of the global category leaders in VC from Europe, the only one actually that that has achieved this from Europe. Like, what were the biggest challenges to open an office in San Francisco? And why did you succeed? You're the only true venture capital fund I know from Europe that had ever the chance to be among really the global greatest VC funds investing in Ocean and all those US companies as well. I feel like you're jinxing us here. I'm a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, we're students of history, right? So we're constantly trying to figure out what our predecessors did not get right um, and how do we learn from that. So, and this is a cool part, I think, of venture is that um, generations of investors share with other firms and, and lessons learned. And so the founders of Benchmark were incredibly generous with us. And, and you know, Balderton's actually figured it out, but mm -hmm. Benchmark Europe was a disaster. I think they would tell you that. And so we learned a bunch of things. Uh, we learned that uh, we tell our entrepreneurs, if you want to open in the US, you have to move there. We've had those discussions. Mm -hmm. um, so similarly, how are we going to open an office without moving, a, moving there ourselves? And it wasn't something we wanted to do. I certainly have found living in the Bay Area more of a tour of duty than what I want to do. But it was absolutely the right thing to do for the company, for the firm to have a chance. And I think the other aspect which everyone in this room um, has as an advantage is that U.S. folks have a tendency to have a very U.S.-centric mm -hmm. approach to things, even when they actually open office here is the dirty secret. Um, however, if you're not from the U.S., you have an outsider perspective, mm -hmm. no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so bringing that ability to relate to the U.S. culture, but look for different things in entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. uh, seeing you know, how, how truly curious and excited they were to build global businesses rather than local winners. Um, how excited were they to truly have a diverse group of people working for their company? Mm -hmm. And the best test was, would they take us on their cap table rather than someone from Sand Hill Road? And so I think that, you know, we came accepting that we were viewed as tourists and that we were going to, um, you know, have a different pitch. And, and thankfully, I think a lot of entrepreneurs saw that we did have something different to offer. And when they talked to other entrepreneurs we worked with, we got great references. So that's a great story. And I think it's, it's interesting, you know, where Europe has become a little more important in the last years. If you look at the importance of B2B companies also in the venture capital industry, not just consumer internet and all the kind of uh, industrial family entrepreneurs we have here that suddenly become important and, and how it has changed the game. I think also not just focusing on the US for founders. Um, you know, you've grown up in so many cultures and I think you always say index is global, but also very local. 
how have all those cultures shaped you as a person and where do you actually feel home? So I think right now you're back in London, right? And uh, I feel as though Europeans have done a really good job at having a great sense of identity, but feeling comfortable and curious about other cultures. So I've always felt comfortable being viewed as an American in Europe and a European in the US mm -hmm. and sort of playing that, um, you know, to make sure that I, you know, we as a firm didn't fall into herd-like mentality. We should invest in this because all of our peers are investing in this, but rather, you know, can we take a step back and actually have a contrarian view because we actually don't have to buy hook, line, and sinker into the culture? Um, so I don't know if that's an answer for you. It is. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, with all those experiences that you had, which lesson you really had to learn the hardware? Or was there this one moment or this one fuck up where you said, okay, that was bloody hard, but it really shaped me a little bit who I am today? So many, so many. I mean, one of one of the big lessons was um, around Skype and trying to buy Skype again from eBay, and it was really brutal. And um, because it got ugly and litigious, and that was a big lesson to learn that when private equity comes in, so you were both involved in the kind of trade sale and then. In the reacquisition with Niklas and the whole exactly. consortium. Interesting. So Didn't we, know that. So we, so yeah, actually, you know, in a lot of ways, Skype was born out of a very similar time as this, yeah. and the exit was around this time as well. And in, in terms of early 2000s, um, and that was great. And then obviously there was a lot of value in Skype, and we tried to buy it back, and we we skirted with private equity and private equity is a different game from us. Mm -hmm. So we, we learned a lesson uh, that, you know, when the private equity folks are investing in a business, that's likely the time that we as early stage, because that's what we love to do, yeah. we should sell. Yeah. Um, let's not try and agree to, uh, to how to run a business. That was, that, was a, that was a big one. That's a great lesson. So I guess with index growth you're, you're focusing still more on those more entrepreneurial bets that are still in this kind of inflection point phase rather than the ones yeah like exactly management so yeah 75% of our investments are seed in series A yeah. but growth is an engine to double down on the companies that we want to either we acknowledge that we missed and we still think is a 10x multiple, so really has venture-like returns mm -hmm. in at a later stage because they just have nailed the market and their product and the team and it's, God, we just have to beg mm -hmm. to get in. Um, or it's for our own companies that we see are doing superbly well and we want to just keep on investing again and again. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we can do that, but, you know, oftentimes we can't. Like in the case of of Figma with the Series D, that was a tough one because we want to lead that with a growth round. And Dylan's like, you know, you sort of own enough and I wouldn't mind getting another party in. So I'm going to take Sequoia's money then letting you lead that round as well. So it's, it, you know. Did you try to argue against it or is it, it's not easy to like, if you're in the cap table and you already have Danny in the board then? I mean, he's pretty... He's pretty smart that way. He's like, what would you do if you were me? 
And that's that's where it all falls apart. I mean, obviously, to have another, you know, another firm on the cap table that is going to be helpful and is really eager to be helpful, even at a growth level, um, rather than just giving us the opportunity to double, like to double down. I sort of hear them. Very fair answer. Two days ago, I was out for dinner with Kati from your team, actually, which uh, Carmen organized and was asking her the question, who is actually doing the really hard work at Index, you know, day and night? Because I thought, like, are those senior partners still like, uh, you know, what I mean? And she was saying, Danny is working crazy, crazy, crazy hard day and night. After 20 years in VC, what keeps you hungry to still do this? I mean... You have met so many amazing successes. You could also say, let's go to Oktoberfest, have a bureau tour on the Figma exit, which I think you guys planned initially. So sorry for crashing that. But what keeps you hungry? Um, I mean, I think it's back to what I was saying earlier. This is such a privilege, right? To do what we do uh, is sort of insane. Like we get to work starting from scratch with these incredibly talented people and be along for the ride and help them and give them counsel. Sometimes they want, sometimes they don't and get compensated for it. Um, it's really fun. And I think that at least the way that we, that we view it, again, sort of studying the industry, is that there's only so long that you can really be relevant to entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So... I'm not quite at the point of being irrelevant, folks, but I'm closer to being irrelevant than staying relevant. So my view is, you know, when I started off, I was the younger brother, um, maybe even the son, actually. Then I was the younger brother. Then I was the older brother. Then I was the uncle. Now I'm the father. When I'm grandfather, it's time to really pack it in. So that's not going to happen. And I think that approach that we've taken means that, um, you know, for the, for the younger folks at the firm, they know that um, hopefully they can learn from us, but they also know that we're not going to stick around for a long time. And so one of the aspects that I'm most proud of with our firm is so many of the, of the partners have taken off to respect that grandfather motif. Uh That's a great mentality because I think taking you out of the equation doesn't often happen within VCs and transitioning a VC over generations and keeping it at such strong quality is also something I think not that easy. Maybe one last question since you've been in venture capital now for 20 years or I think even more. Um, I think you started when you were 32, right? Let's imagine there is a 32-old Danny Reimer sitting here now. Which one advice would you give this 30-year-old, 32-year-old Danny Reimer that you've learned to build a career in VC? Um, I mean, don't take it for granted. Surround yourself with incredible folks and uh, know that you're going to fuck up many, many times. <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> Danny, thank you. Um, I, the one thing I wanted to say, first of all, thank you for inviting me. I do, I do uh, you've been kind, but obviously coming here during this period, um, it did, I did reflect on the fact of, okay, this is an interesting time. 
and I'm an older guy in the room, and I've gone through crises before. So, like, let me just impart my view. So, my my view is that this is an incredible time for the right VCs, but more importantly, for the right entrepreneurs to start businesses. And back to what I was saying, if you're starting a business now, you really mean it, which is such a good sign. Uh, which had not been the case in the sort of go-go years that have recently occurred. Um, and I, and I, so I, I would say that's super exciting. The other aspect that we've noticed are, you know, we have not been, uh, I would say that Germany has been a more challenging, um, you know, just geography for us. I think it's part of back to what I was saying in terms of the entrepreneurs that we look for. But what is so clear right now, what we're seeing and, and the investments that we've made, and we've made a bunch and we're looking at more, is that the entrepreneurs are either coming out of school and it's their first job, but they have this real desire to start this company or they're operators and they've been part of you know, these explosive growth stories and now it's their chance. And so it really, you know, I was flattered that you invited me and I wanted to come, but I'm also super excited about what Germany can do. It's other than the UK in Europe, and I'm being generous to the UK because it still kills me. Um, you know, it's the, those are the only geos where folks will leave their country to relocate and join businesses. And that's such an advantage versus... Paris or Amsterdam or other important cities um, in Europe. Thank you so much, Jenny. I couldn't think of a better closing. I know we can do many more amazing deals together in Germany. And I think great news for all the founders here that independent pretty much of macroeconomic times, it's, it's such a good time to be an optimist and, and, and start something. And uh, we've discussed it several times today that Coincidentally, maybe the best companies ever were actually started in those crises. Whether 2008, I think, which was a great year of companies that got started. Figma not much later. So thank you so much for joining us. Great news that you're also still around for founders. And uh, hopefully uh, it will take some time until you get a granny uh, just for, for our ecosystem. Thanks so much, Danny, for joining us. And um, let's have a great evening together. Thank you very much. <laughs>